you are in the perfect place at the divine time to be touched by a horse. Here's your hosts, Melissa Pierce and Dane Cheek. Well, hi there, everybody. It's Melissa. And this is Dane. Awesome. (laughs) We're so happy to be back. And while we were in California, our incredible couple that lives here on the ranch, taking care of the ranch when we're gone, Amanda Soper and Gabe. And Amanda is a graduate of my program. She lives on site. She's also a fantastic horseman in her own right. And our gypsy vanners are easy to take care of and they eat, as my grandfather would say, they eat air pudding with wind sauce and get fat. I mean, they get fat on two bites of food. So they're always very restricted in their diet. And we have all the tricks and do all the things that we can for them. But one of them, my beautiful Rhiannon, she's 22 years old, and she came in for whatever reason and decided to pig hog her food while we were gone, just, you know, snarf it down as fast as she could. And she choked, which is in horsemanship was, called choke. Was that her pellets? I think she, it was her pellets, but it was her dinner. Right, so she right. just she she just managed to gobble it way too fast and got it in the wrong pipe. And we've all done it as humans, but it's super serious in a horse. So Amanda did all the right things, took care of her exactly how she should take care of her, called me with some concern. And I said, eh, you know, she may need antibiotics. Let's have the vet out. So $1,000 later, she's fine. But, you know, it's one of those things that you never know right. any day. Because yeah. we have a lot of animals on this ranch. We have two alpaca, which knock on wood, never have had an emergency vet bill of any kind. They have their annual shaving shot and foot trimming. and That's about it. They're pretty easy. Two miniature horses that have definitely had their share of vet bill stuff. Our miniature mule, miniature donkey, 10 horses, you know, two dogs, two goats. It's a lot of animals. And so, and the chickens, right? So we're always seeing the vet. We love our vets and we're always seeing the vet or doctoring them or doing every, somebody's, you know, almost always somebody's on something, right? So yeah. And it, it made me think about today's topic in combination with a beautiful email I received from one of our listeners. So you, you're willing to take a look at that with me today? So I want to thank this listener. I'm not going to name her. I'm going to keep that private, but she reached out to email me. And if you ever want email me, you can. It's Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-A. I only have one S in my first name. So M-E-L-I-S-A at touchedbyahorse.com. So she did say she'd recently listened to one of our podcasts where I talked a little bit about my daughter's story and that it brought some things up for her. And she wanted to ask me in relation to the situation I had with my daughter, who was severely chronically ill and repetitively in the hospital and all of that lived to be 24 years old that she experiences something similar with her son and she put a label on something that i thought was really smart i don't i don't know her background i don't know this woman at all i i, I don't know any of it but she used the word that what she was struggling with and wondered if i had ever struggled with and would gestalt help was recurring trauma, not just the initial trauma when our children were diagnosed, but the recurring trauma of going back in the ER, back in the hospital, back in, back in, back in. And she said she couldn't think of a better word than anticipatory trauma. And I just thought that was really a great explanation. Right. I mean, you've yeah. been, you went through yeah. so yeah. much of this from the sort time Molly anti- was young. Anticipating. Right. That knock yeah. on the door. Exactly. Mom, I got to go to the ER. And right. I don't know how old this, this woman's son is. I don't know the extent to his challenges or any of that. 
But I thought it warranted really some talk in this podcast about, because many people are in situations where they have that anticipatory trauma. I think our country went through it to an extent with the pandemic because the pandemic seemed like it was over. Oh, it's not. Seemed like it was. Oh, it's not. Seemed like it was. Get the mask back out. So I think our whole country went through some of that. Uh, Like, is it gone? Isn't it gone? And that anticipatory trauma to a degree. And certainly any of you that have horses out there or dogs or animals that you love, you know that at any moment, you know, they could do something stupid and you end up with them in trouble. But it's really different with a chronically ill person that you love, whether it's your child. I think it's probably turned up at the loudest volume when it's your child, but it could be your spouse. It could be your sibling. It could be anyone that you love. Could be your parent if they have chronic illness. Chronic meaning it gets acute where you end up in the hospital. It gets bad and it reoccurs. It it comes and goes like a bad tsunami. (laughs) It's like getting rushed over with a tsunami and then the ocean goes back out. And there are many people who I met over the 24 years of my daughter's life in and out of hospitals everywhere from San Diego to New York City, a lot in Phoenix, a lot in Denver. I saw the good, the bad, and the ugly of hospitals, doctors, ERs, you know, all of it. I had an extreme education in America's medical system and what it's like to parent an infant to a 24-year-old through chronic illness that is super extreme. In my daughter's case, when she knocked on my bedroom door and said, mom, I need to go to the ER, it was life or death. It wasn't calm. We had to remain calm. She remained calm. But if we said, well, we'll go tomorrow, she would die. So her everything from her sodium for the nurses and doctors listening to the podcast would drop to 12 and she would still know her name. It was so extreme with her electrolytes, with her vitamin levels, with all of it. It was so extreme for her that it was very crucial that she got into the hands of a good ER right away. So that's not easy. And we went to give you an idea of frequency when she was an infant. She spent the first five months in the intensive care unit, then came home, We were back in through the emergency room of Phoenix Children's no less than twice a month. We never went a month not going to the ER. We were there anywhere from 48 hours to 10 days. And this was year after year after year after year after year. By the time she was eight years old, nine years old, she hit a pinnacle of good health for a while. She might be in the ER four times that year. So she had a couple of really good years right in there. And and then unfortunately, a medical mistake in the hospital created us back onto the nightmare of her being on TPN and frequent difficult IV at home and all this kind of stuff. So I should write a book on her someday, but I don't know (laughs) that I want to go through it all again to do it. But The point of this email, I thought, was what I wanted to get to. Honestly, my beautiful son, Cody, who was nine when Molly was born, was 
a extremely healthy baby. Thank God he's always had good health his entire life. He was a baby who took two naps in the day immediately as soon as he got home. He nursed easy. He grew well. I mean, he just was the always this incredibly abundant, healthy child. I have been blessed with very good health. Her father has been blessed with very good health. And so it didn't make any sense. We were not prepared for a child that had severe problems in any way or fashion other than we had excellent health insurance, to which I'm very grateful for to this day. And so when she came along and she had a disease where she was one of three in the world with the disease, the doctors were stumped. They totally didn't know what to do, didn't know how to help her or help me. They really were pretty lost in the beginning of it. And so that's not a comforting feeling as a parent. You want them to say, your child has X, Y, Z, and here's what we do to fix it, right? That would have been scary enough if they had said, she has to go to surgery and this will fix it. That would have been terrifying at that point in my life. 28 abdominal severe surgeries later, not so scary, but in the beginning, terrifying. And I felt as if I was learning medical jargon and medical information, like trying to take a drink out of a fire hose. I was just blown away. I didn't have a medical background. I had somewhat of a science background. I was a psychotherapist at that time, brand new, but I didn't study physiology or anatomy. I didn't have, you know, any claim to that. In my Gestalt group, I had two air flight nurses, flight for life nurses. And what are the odds of that? I believe God sets us up to face any challenge wherever handed. Why would I have these two beautiful women in my life? And the minute they knew that we were in trouble and that Molly was headed in flight for life at 36 hours old to another hospital to have her first surgery, they were by my side helping me decode things and understand things. In fact, one of them was on the actual helicopter trip. I think she asked for it because she wanted to be, they took her out of my arms and took her out to the helipad. That is not what a new mom wants to do with their baby. I don't care what the circumstance is. You want to bite somebody when they try to take your child. So all of this to say, I think I was very blessed to have the different people that I had in my life at that time. I was extremely blessed to already be a gestaltist, to already understand the power of Gestalt. And I was triply blessed to have done a lot of my own personal work by then in my life. I had already looked at my family of origin, the dysfunction of my family, what that had done to me. My own awareness of self was not what it is today, but it was coming around in a really strong way. And that fortified me to be able to say, should this child decide to stay on this planet, <laughs> I do not want her identity to be Molly the sick child. That was so important to me from day two. I wanted her to feel and for me to feel and her father to see her as Molly and her brother to see her as Molly, not with the identity of being this very seriously chronically ill kid. So she goes off to that first surgery. We, I'm not going to go in the details of all of that because her story could be a 24-hour podcast. It was, it was one 
new challenge, new understanding, new way after another. I brought the first infant home in the United States on IV fluid. Nobody had ever done that before that wasn't a registered nurse. Uh, She was on what's called total parenteral nutrition. And by five months of age, I had been in the hospital every day with her and I understood it as well as the nurses did and challenged the hospital director and signed all the responsibility off and brought her home with a lot of assistance from people to give me the courage to do that. So she's, she's a huge, huge, huge story. But when this beautiful woman said, did Gestalt help you with anticipatory trauma? That's powerful. And there are many people out there in the world who have these kinds of situations where they have a chance and an option to either live life waiting for the other shoe to drop and live life with anxiety and concern and and preparation emotionally for the next time that it hits the fan or to stay more in the present moment. Now, this beautiful mom, she's heard me, plus I think she's had some good education and therapy herself because she says, I do work hard at being in the present moment. So she's already got that awareness. But she asked me in this email, she says, my understanding from you is that in Gestalt work, you work through unresolved issues to resolve them and move forward. I get that. But I wonder Is it possible to resolve trauma and move through it if the trauma isn't over, if it's ongoing and repetitive in life? That is a powerful question. And so I want to do to the best of my ability, I know this isn't one of our funny podcasts that Dana Dana and I create these funny podcasts, but I think this is so important for anyone who's listening to understand. For me, when I look at my health, I am now 67 years old. I don't think I look 67. A lot of people tell me I don't. I have a lot of vitality. I have a lot of health. I have about 30 pounds I should drop, but I have my health. My heart's good. My breathing's good. Like I have my health. I'm a healthy person. Blood pressure's low, you know, all of that stuff, which makes no sense at all for someone who's lived at the level of extreme stress all the way to my beautiful daughter's passing. Extreme stress, grief, tragedy, all of that for that many years at that level and so consistent. I'm not bionic, but I'll tell you the average mortal, I believe without doing their gestalt work, would have heart disease and liver failure. I mean, just be a mess, right? Just be a mess. Stress in our life is a killer. Doctors tell us that. Science tells us that. So why is it that I made it through 25 years of nonstop pain and crisis and concern and all of that around this child. And I stand today, knock on some kind of wood, including my head, with good health. It doesn't, that doesn't go together. So I deeply credit the fact that I I am a gestaltist. That's what I credit it to on my health. I credit to the doctors that she lived 24 years longer than she was expected to live. Nobody thought when that child was born that she would live to be one. Every birthday, her father and I would look at each other saying, wow, she made it another year. In fact, I remember one of the kindest things that and sweetest things that he ever did say was he looked at her when she was about two months old and we were making some difficult decisions at that point of honestly kind of letting her go or keeping her on the planet. We were being told by 
doctors and lawyers to let her go. And our hearts were saying we wanted to keep her. And he said, I, I want to do everything we can for her. So she lives long enough for us to know who she is as a person. I, I don't want to bury an infant who I don't know who she is. Right. So that was his way of looking at that. I felt like I did know who she was because she had been in my body and he didn't. And I understood what he was saying. And I think that helped her, you know, helped us make those decisions of like, yeah, we're going to put her through a lot to keep her here, but let's keep her here. And she was she always was on that side herself. She always wanted to stay as well. So what is it that Gestalt does? What is the magic that it does? I will say that I'm not standing here saying that I didn't have concern for my daughter, especially as she got older and had her own choices in life because she was also a normal kid and she made poor choices for herself, not getting enough rest. When she went off to college, she added alcohol to her diet a couple times. You know, she was a regular kid. She was going to experiment with things and try things. But she taught me some very big lessons. My commitment to her was, I will not label you in my mind, in my heart, in my speech, to other people, nothing. Your identity will not be your poor health first and your beingness of your beauty and who you are and why you're on this planet second. That's a reverse order. I'm going to keep it in the order that it needs to be in. And that secondly, while I would possibly know and Dane could tell you, no hate and resist that knock at the door when my life would be turned upside down and so would hers and we'd be in this whirlwind of the medical community again. Nobody wants that. Nobody likes that. And the timing is never good. I can tell you <laughs> these chronic kids, if there's something you want to go do with your life, that's when that happens. Not intentionally, but you know, Murphy's Law. All of the worry, all of the anxiety in the world was not going to change it. And I knew that. I knew that at the deepest soul level, that I could not worry her well, that I could not be anxious enough, which to me, I define anxiety as not being able to worry fast enough, that my anxiety and my worry for her was never going to change the outcome. It was never going to help her. It was never going to change the outcome. And furthermore, that I would run the risk of her feeling responsible for my feelings, which is not what I wanted her to be. I didn't want her to say, oh my gosh, I'm ruining my mother's life. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm an inconvenience to my mom. Oh my gosh, I'm causing my mom to have gray hair. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm harming my mom in any way. This needed to be about her. It needed to be practical. It needed to be tended to, and we needed to get the heck out of there. So I did help her be polite to the medical community. I did ask her to be. And when she wasn't in a few occasions, it was usually because that physician deserved hearing his, he needed training from a patient. I'll leave it there. He needed training from a patient. And there were a couple of those doctors over 25 years for sure. However, to me, it wasn't that that's where she 
uh, belonged. I didn't want her to feel resistant to go to the hospital. It's a tricky thing with a chronic kid because they get older and they think, well, maybe if I just don't tell my mom I have this fever, I can watch this show on TV. I mean, you have to depend on these children as they get older to not be afraid of disappointing you as a mom, crushing your heart, causing your anxiety, and delaying in any way. They got to tell you, I can't breathe or I can't, I have a fever or whatever it is. You have to be a team and they can't be afraid of our reaction as a parent to what they're going to do. So I didn't want to put my joy on her back. So I always continued my work. I continued seeing clients. I continued showing horses, all of that stuff. I did not have a nurse for her. I had a lot of good friends that stepped in to back me up and to help me in, in a lot of different levels. But I did her care. I did her, her IV pumps. Her father did some of it too. You know, we took care of her ourselves. And I don't know if you guys have priced a home nurse lately, but it's insubordinate. It's really high. So you learn to do it yourself or, or, or not do it at all. So part of what the gestalt did for me, I believe, is the better we have an awareness of ourselves, the parts of our personality, where they formed from, how we formed them, all of that, the better we know ourselves, at, I'm talking about at the deepest level of our psychology, of our mind, our body, our spirit, all of it, the better we know ourselves and can trust ourselves as having awareness of our underbelly, our dark side, our not so private parts that we'd be proud of in the world, and our strengths and all of our good parts, the more awareness we care of that, the better we deal with a, staying in the present moment, which is a big part of it, but we're not projecting onto the person that we're caretaker of, whether I'm saying child, because that was my example and this person's example, but it could be anybody that you're taking care of that's chronically ill. You're not projecting onto them. You're not taking pain that you experienced yourself over having your tonsils out and imagining that the experience is the same for the patient you're not predicting doom. You're, you know, all of that stuff clears up. You are literally piece by piece, step by step, time by time, exactly where you need to be because you are your child's medical chart. When I look at this client, I'm sure she knows this already, but darling, you are your, your daughter, your son's medical chart. You're the walking medical chart. Even though the hospitals have all the information that used to frustrate Dane a lot, right? When they'd come in and ask the same questions over and over and over, and I'd have to recite the same information and be on top of it and kind of guide them as to what to do. But that is part of it. It is part of stepping up. I remember people, especially other mothers saying to me, you have such courage. I said, no, I don't. I was handed this baby with these problems. I don't have any courage. I have a willingness to step up for my child. And that's what this woman who wrote this beautiful email to me, that's what she does too. It's not courage. Trust me. It is a mother's worst nightmare to see their child in recurrent pain. There is nothing that holds a candle to it than to see something that we're not in control of. You can't fix it. And that's kids that are cystic fibrosis. There's, there's just so many. I could list a bazillion health challenges that children are given. When I wrote her back and told her I would do this podcast, I also said to her, 
I didn't like people saying to me, I'm so sorry about your daughter because I wasn't and neither was my daughter. Although she went through 24 years of side effects and needles and medications and hospitals and I mean stuff that none of us would want to go through. Take your worst treatment that you've ever heard somebody going through and this child went through it. I mean really tough tests and on and on. It made her who she was in such a beautiful way. It's again, it's the word bodhicitta, not in a way of it hardening her or, or making her bitter or making her focus on any of that stuff. Literally when she'd get discharged from the hospital is when she felt the best in her life. And that's when she wanted to go to the movies and she wanted to go ride her horse and she wanted to go do stuff because everything was balanced in her body. Counterintuitive as a mom, you just want to go tuck them back in bed, you know, but in her case with her illness, that's when she felt the best. So a lot of times that was the time she wanted to go, you know, see her friends. So I do credit Gestalt with incredible awareness of parts of self. I knew what parts of me needed to show up for my daughter in that moment in time. I knew what parts of my personality could deal with young doctors that thought they knew more than they really knew. I knew what parts of me needed to come together when the ER didn't realize the extreme urgency of her needs. I knew what parts of me needed to come together when I was swamped and flooded with deep gratitude for their extraordinary care for her. You know, it's it's aligning the parts of ourself. And I knew when I got home and was exhausted, I could cry or I could scream or I could let my anger out or I could do in Gestalt what we call a piece of work, which I did a lot of it through all those years with a Gestaltist for me, a person that worked with me. And I'd go and I'd say, I'm really filled with anger. And he'd say to me, well, let's, let's look at it. What, you know, what is it about? And I'd say, I, you know, this happened and it was incompetency and I, I just, I'm angry about it and I need to get rid of this anger. For me, I did, I had two nurses in 24 years fired. That's not bad. One, she had, my daughter had what's called a central line that has to be handled with extreme sterile procedure. And the nurse took, she was flippant about it, which is why I had her fired. She took a a alcohol swab and she wiped the top of the place where she was going to inject the needle into the port and then set it on top of the pump, which is filthy dirty, right? So out in the regular air and then picked it up again and wiped the top of it again and went to inject it. To which I said, "Uh, uh, 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 excuse me, you just broke the sterile field on that. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. And she injected it anyway, to which my daughter ran a high fever and was threatened with sepsis for four days. So yeah, she lost her job over that. And if she had just said, oh my God, thank you for catching that. I apologize. Woo, I need a break. I never would have said anything to anybody. So I'm not that person that complains about people, but I am that person that would advocate for my daughter all the way, all the way, 100% as I can tell this sweet mom does for her son. And I know many of you do for your parents, for your spouses, possibly you need to do it for yourself. I hope not. I hope you have someone who loves you by your side to be with you during American medical care. I don't know where you are in the world, but don't let everybody tell you that ours is definitely the best. We are great. We have a lot of brilliance in our medical system, but we have issues too. We have challenges that we need to look at. So anticipatory trauma to me 
as you work through the trauma each and every time where you're able to let go of it, you're able to process it, you're able to get a clean slate, then you can move forward in bodhicitta. So bodhicitta is a, it's a Buddhist word actually, and it has a, a broader meaning than someone can translate. So someone else may have a different translation of the word, but the stories around bodhicitta, when you when you read about the word and its meaning, have to do with someone who has been wounded, and instead of hardening from the wound, they soften. And some of the examples they use is you've seen stones where water has hit a stone in a creek and the stones become jagged and sharp. And you've seen other stones you could pick up from in the creek and they're soft. They feel like fabric instead of rock. So that's bodhicitta. It is the art form that Gestalt helps you with to make sure that you don't harden, that you remain open, that you remain present and soft and calm and capable and knowing your parts to be able to face the next time a mule kicks you with both back legs, which is what it feels like when these kids get sick again. It's like, ouch, you know, it's again, but this time is separate from those other times. It's, it's separate. So I hope this helps this beautiful mom in some way. And I, uh, sent you my phone number so that you could get a call with me. I would tell any of you listening to this, including this woman who has written to me, that my certified practitioners are trained to help you. They're extremely trained to assist you with this, with getting to know yourself. If you have a chronically ill person in your life and you want to work with one of my graduates, write to me personally or to the office. And what we do is we hear what you need and where you're located. We do need to know where you're located. And we will give you two suggestions. One is someone geographically close to you who we believe would understand your situation and or will give you somebody that you may travel to, but they've got more, maybe more experience in it, or that's their specialty, or that's what we call their niche. My time is extremely limited, but I also make myself available to these moms of these kids because I'll tell you, I went all the way to my worst, worst fear of my lifetime, which was saying goodbye to my daughter as she passed away. And I, I think Dane would back me up in saying, you, I don't think you ever saw me with anxiety or anything like that. Other than the one time is when she lived in her own apartment in LA and I knew she was taking some risks she shouldn't take. That made me nuts as a mom. That had nothing to do with her illness. Yeah. You were always, <laughs> you were always, you know, relatively calm saying, okay. Let's, let's go. Here let's we do go. it. Here yeah. we go. Let's do our job. Let's yeah. do it for yeah. sure. You went through this since she was about 13 when you met her. And I deeply, sincerely thank you for the partner you were through all of that, all the way to her final breath. You were there. And I believe it's a credit to having both you as a partner and me doing the gestalt work to really stay clean about all of it and not get into anticipatory trauma. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I know it's easy to say, but I know it's difficult to not be caught up in it. Absolutely. It is. And with her, I don't, again, don't know what this sweet woman's son is challenged with, but with Molly, as most of the moms that I talk to with chronically ill kids, it's 10 seconds of laying eyes on them and you can see it coming. 
It's just the way the body works before they even know it. The mom knows it. It's just a, just a tough thing. And, and that's when it starts. And when you're like, Oh, you know, here we go. We can't hover over these children. We have to allow them to be all that they're going to be. Molly went on to be a writer. She had corgi dogs. She went to Paris. She did things nobody thought this girl could do. She got married 72 hours before she died when we took her off dialysis, very surreal experience, but she really was in love and she experienced having somebody love her so deeply. Uh, she went to college. She did a lot of things with her very alternative life, for sure. Very alternative life, for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of your, uh, you know, the projection of your, how you handled things, you know, sort of made her who she was as well. Yeah, she said that to yeah. me. Yeah, she said that to me. The last thing it all say, because I, I don't know, again, I don't know this mom's exact situation, but I was laying in her hospital bed 72 hours before her final breath. She knew that we had taken her off dialysis. She knew that it was the end. And so these were very touchy, difficult times, obviously. And as I was laying there with her, I asked her with a lot of tears, I asked her, I said, I, I can't even get a blood test without being a baby about it myself. And I said, I don't know how you've done this. I'm, I'm bowing down my soul to yours because yes, I've given you a kidney. Yes, I've been by your side through all of this. But honestly, young woman, I don't know how you've done this. I don't know how you've remained positive and want to be here on the planet and kind and, and able to love and able to laugh and able to have your own anger and all. I don't know how you've done it. I just don't know how you haven't gone crackers over the whole thing. And I thought she fell asleep because she was pretty weak and she came kind of back awake a little bit. And she says, I know the answer. And I said, to what? Five, six minutes went by. And she said, I know the, the answer to how I've done this for 24 years. I said, please tell me. She said, I was born with this, which means to me, it's like I'm a little child born in Bangladesh. And I have found a aluminum foil ball and a stick. And I'm on top of a 30 foot tall garbage pile. And my other friend, who's also five, is on the other pile. And we knock this aluminum foil ball back and forth to each other and laugh and consider it play and consider it fun. And I thought, wow, this kid is so deep and so profound. And she said, it's all I've known. She had never had a day when she felt as healthy as other people do in her entire life. And she had many, many, many happy days. So I hope this, I, she taught me to not be a very whiny person. I'll tell you that, um, to remain positive and grateful about things because, you know, I watched what she went through and may no one on the face of the earth ever go through what that girl went through. Hope this helps this mom who I feel uh, a kindred ship with and any of you out there who have people who have chronic illness and forever grateful to you, baby, for all the role you played in her life and always in mine. I feel grateful as well. well. Thank you. We want to thank Hope Through Horses. Please go to hopethroughhorses.com. They're a sponsor of this podcast and we're very grateful to them as well. Thank you all. Have a blessed day. 
Thank you for listening to the Touched by a Horse podcast. If you'd like more information about anything we've talked about on the show today or our certification program, please visit our website at touchedbyahorse.com. That's touchedbyahorse.com. Or contact our office by phone at 303-440-7125. Also, be sure to keep up with us on social media. We're at Touched by a Horse on both Facebook and Instagram. See you around the barn and on the next episode.